morning, everybody. You know, as we look at uh, 1 Corinthians, I want you to keep in mind a few things and the reasons why uh, I wanted to go through this book, and I really prayed about it. Number one, because there's so many divisions in the world today, right? They're dividing us in every way possible, whether it be by our, our age, our color, our gender, our politics, our views of vaccinations and masks. I mean, we just could keep going down what news station you watch, right? You know, uh, where do you get your news from? I mean, anything and everything, we're being divided. And I believe that, that Corinthians, they were going through this too. Division, division. But I want you to think about division for a second. Separation of people one from another. What separates us? You go back to the garden with Adam and Eve, it was sin, right? Them choosing to do it their way instead of doing it God's way. And they divided from God, and then they divided from each other, and then that just continues to splinter out, even with their sons, one killing the other, Cain killing Abel. You look at the children of Israel, divided, right? Um, They unite under Saul, they unite under David, under Solomon, they're united and strong, and then what happens? Rehoboam comes up, divided again. Ten tribes go to the north, two tribes stay in the south, but division. Even with the apostles... As they followed Jesus before the resurrection, what was going on with them? Were they united? What were they always fighting over? Who's the best? Who's the greatest? Who's number one and who's number 12? What's the pecking order, right? And and they have that. But I want you to see something. Who do you think is trying to divide? Is it God? Satan. Satan. In our marriages, in our relationships, and in our churches, in nations, animosity, distrust, anger, all these things come up constantly. And I believe in the church, it comes down to one simple thing, that we get our eyes on certain men or women, whatever it is, and we give our loyalty to them more than we give our loyalty to Jesus Christ. I really want you to think about that. Are you presenting, if you disagree with someone in the body of Christ, Is it because you have a disagreement over Jesus, over his person, over his death, over his resurrection? Or are we disagreeing over a certain theology and times view? Whatever you want to say, are those the reasons why we separate? It's because of a man's interpretation of what Jesus said. It's not because of what he's done. And here's the other thing. You know why we do that? Because we're in the flesh, we're in the flesh. And Paul in Corinthians, have you ever noticed this? Corinthians, we all know this. Out of all the New Testament churches, they are the craziest, right? They have the most problems, the most crazy problems that we know about. It's the first Corinthian church. But one thing Paul does not rebuke them for is being open to the Spirit. He corrects the practice, right? But he doesn't tell, hey, you stop doing that. You know, he says, hey, do that. Continue to do that. But do it in a proper, orderly way way. And I believe, again, he wants to foster this relationship with the Spirit. That's why he closes by saying, and continue what? In your communion with the Holy Spirit, in that koinonia, in that fellowship. So I believe as we look here at Corinthians, I I want us to remember a couple things from last week. 
Number one, the Corinthian church was in a town that was metropolitan, carnal, worldly. They had on one end all the, the Europe and Africa and, and the Middle East all meeting in, in Corinth. It was a trading area. It was a Roman city. Uh, Roman soldiers retired there. They had a, just a plethora, a plethora of temples and gods and idolatry and paganism. And in any town, Los Angeles to Las Vegas to Chicago to New York, they're going to have all the vices that every big city has, right? And, and the thing about it, like I said last week, but on the, on the other side, also in a big city, they had great institutions of learning, like philosophy and rhetoric and all, medicine. All these things were going to be found in Corinth. But the problem with Corinth was the shadow of that city, the, the values of that city, the identity of that city, right? And all the carnality was going to be found in the church, which it should not be. Division, distrust, suing each other, sexual morality, all those things were in the city, but they're also in the church. And the apostle Paul wants to deal with that. But here's the beauty of last week too. They were called saints. They were called saints. They were called those that had been chosen by God, that had been, they're going to be blameless at the return of Christ because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I really want to emphasize that to you because I believe what Paul is doing is that he's trying to, with all these divisions and all this dysfunction that's going on in the church, he wants to bring them back to what unites them. He wants to bring them back to what holds them together, the glue that holds them together. It's not their differences that's the problem. It's their disloyalty to Christ that's the problem. Their they're they're non-allegiance to Jesus. And I want you to keep this in mind. And look what it says there at the very last part. Verse 9. We're going to look at verse 10. But look what he says in verse 9 again. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Into the fellowship of his son. And you know, the apostle John says the same thing in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. He says this. That, speaking of Jesus, he goes, That's what, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Look what he says, why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So again, this idea of koinonia, it's presenting us with a few truths. Number one, a deep intimacy with Christ. Now, now I want you to think about that, a deep intimacy with Christ. When he talks about fellowship, why? We all have this fellowship. It's not an individual thing. It's as the body of Christ. I think one thing about the church in America or the church in the West is that we're so individualistic, aren't we? My walk with God, my relationship with God. That relationship that you have, you bring it into the body of Christ. We come together and worship God. We come together at the Lord's table. We come together. He's not writing to individuals. He's writing to the body of Jesus Christ. And I, and I really want us to see that. So he, what, that relationship, this is what I want to emphasize as we get going again. Your relationship with Christ, that relationship that you enjoy, right? All the benefits, the strengthening of grace, the strengthening of love, the walking in the Holy Spirit, we come now and we combine that that thankfulness, and we worship together, we pray together, we fellowship together, but it's a, it's a reflection of that fellowship we have with Jesus Christ. As individuals, strengthens the whole. What they were doing, though, is that they were so, look, we're going to see today, they were so divided because they weren't loyal to Christ. They're being loyal to Paul or Apollos or Peter, 
And some even went so far as to be followers of Christ. What an idea, right? What an idea. And we're going to see again what the solution is today. But again, that, this fellowship that he talks about here in verse 9, that word koinonia, fellowship of the, his son. Look, but I want you to see how he ends it. Jesus Christ, our what? Lord. So who has, who's in command here? Is it the Corinthian individual? Is it Peter? Is it Paul? Is it Apollos? No, it's Jesus. Jesus is Lord. So our, our submission is going to be to who? To who? Are you sure? Yes. Thank you for that. If you guys answered it another way, I was just going to walk back and get out of here. Let's go ahead and dive into verse 10. <laughs> verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Notice how he starts this word brothers. Other word, I, what he's, I want us to see something. He's not just talking to the men, obviously. He's talking to the men and women. I think the NASB, they all translate it brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's talking to the body there that is found in Corinth. He's talking to the body. And notice his plea. He says this, I appeal. Other translations, I urge you. I urge you. I appeal to you to do what? To be in agreement with each other. To be in agreement. And this idea, again, it's, 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 it's talking about their, they should be of one voice. One voice. Have you guys, for you that have kids or have you even babysat, right? Um, have you guys, as parents, um, had, like, mom says one thing, dad says the other? Or the kid goes to mom, can I go to the football game? But mom doesn't know that dad said, hey, you didn't clean your room today, so you're not going anywhere until you clean your room. Mom said I could go. And what happens to mom and dad? right? I remember my dad would always say this to me. I would call him up. Hey, Dad, can I go out tonight? Where are you going to go? I'm going to go with Brian. What did your mom say uh, to call you? What did she say? Uh, did she say you could go? What? <laughs> did she say you could go? No. Then why are you calling me? <laughs> you know, that's the answer. No. But I've known other marriages where mom and dad fight, whether Junior can go to the game or not. Division. Division, right? And so Paul's saying here, be of one voice. Because I want you to see how important this beginning chapter is. Remember the problems that are going on in Corinth. A son has shacked up with his stepmother, stolen his father's wife. The church is not united in dealing with that sin. They're not united. They don't have one voice. So they can't deal with the problem. Another thing, believers in the church in Corinth are suing each other. It's so bad, that this, this division in the church is so bad, they can't go to the elders of the church. You know where they're going? They're going to the courts. Why? Because the church is divided. They're having problems in uh, their marriages. They're not going to the church. They're all coming up with their own way. They're all doing their own thing. You know why? Because they're divided. They're not of one voice in who they're following. I really want to see you guys see that. They're divided because they're not of one voice and who they're following. They've splintered off 
into these subdivisions, right? But Paul is saying when he says to agree, he wants them to be of one voice. And what's his voice? What's his voice thing? He wants there to be no divisions among them. He wants them to be united. He wants them to be of the same mind and the same judgment. This is the goal, that there be no divisions, no walls, right? Every time I think of a wall, I think of East and West Germany, right? The wall goes up, and I just saw a picture of this. A son is holding up his son over the wall so mom and dad could see him on the other side from East Germany. How sad is that? Just a wall. Just one wall separating mom and dad. So he's holding up, tippy-toeing, so that grandma and grandpa could see their grandson. But the wall was separating them. Now, again, obviously, most of the times in our relationships, even in the church, it's not a physical wall, is it? It's a feeling. It's a past wrong. It's a misunderstanding. It's a slight. And these things, all of a sudden, because I want you, this is what's going on. I want you to see something. These guys are still coming to church together. They're still gathering together. They're still coming to the Lord's table together. They're still hearing the word together, but are they together? No. They're divided. And I bet you, I mean, I, I bet you it was so petty. I bet you like the Peter people were over here. The Paul people are over here. You know, the Paulus people are over here. And they're all looking at each other like with suspicion, right? This, this animosity, there's this gap between them, but they're still in the same church. So there's hope. There's hope, right? But Paul says, be united. Be united. But the idea of this word, you guys, because there is divisions, this word united, it, it references, it goes back to even when the apostles were called, it's the same word that means to mend fishing nets. So what's that implying? It's implying that there is going to be differences between us. There is. People are going to have different political parties in the church. I know that bothers you, but that's the reality, and they have their reasons for it. Some people in this room have been vaccinated. Some of you guys have not. Some of you guys have strong opinions about it, but should this divide us? Some of us have really strong opinions about whether we should have wore our mask or not. People have strong opinions. Some people did, no problem. Other people did with a gun to their head, Right? If you're going to make me do it, I'll do it. We have strong opinions. But should these things divide us? Paul would say absolutely not. There needs to be amending. And it goes even deeper than that. Maybe Paul here insulted me. He hurt my feelings. What do I do with that? How do I handle that with Paul? Well, hopefully, if I'm humble enough and I, and I believe that Paul loves me, I'm going to go to Paul and say, hey, bro, Hey, remember when we were talking the other day and you, you said that word, you said that thing about, yeah, I didn't mean anything by it. I know you didn't, but man, it really hurt my feelings. I, I just wanted you to know that. And if Paul's a good-willed person. You know what he's going to say? Armando, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean a thing by that. But we're going to reconcile. We're going to mend the net. We're going to mend the net. We're going to repair the relationship. And it, it's the same thing in our marriages, isn't it? Because I want you to see something. These, what was going on in the church was a reflection of what was going on in their walk with God, but also what was going on, it was happening in their marriages, because husbands and wives were going at it too. We'll see that in a few weeks. But here, and I want you to understand something, and Amanda and I have learned this over, we're, this is our 25th year, and April will be our 25th anniversary. And believe me, it has, it has thank you for that, congratulate her. Uh, <laughs> she's endured to the end. Um, but I want you to see something, we've worked at this diligently. 
And this has gotten really good because when I say something I don't mean or I have an attitude, I don't even hear it. Um, I, maybe a sharp word comes out of my mouth. She, I, could see, I could see, and I could read her, and I could see there's this look in her eye like, like and I'm like, uh-oh, what did I do? What did I do? And I start going over my head. What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What did I say? I'm like, I think it's that. Babe, I'm really sorry about this. I'm not mad at you because of that. Now I'm really in trouble, right? When the moment I, I figure it out, and she's like, no, it was this. I'm like, that? But then she'll always come to me and say, hey, you hurt my feelings. And she'll always, she says this way. You hurt my feelings when you said that. I know you didn't mean it. But I want to tell you because it hurt my feelings. My response when I was like, younger in my relationship, but I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to hurt you, so you can't be mad at me for that, but I'm still hurt. Yeah, but I didn't mean to hurt you. And I know husbands and wives will fight over that. It escalates. You know what I've learned to do? Babe, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I did that to you. I didn't realize it. Please forgive me. I don't know. I guess I'm kind of edgy. I don't, I don't see it, but I'm really sorry. It's okay. Just wanted to let you know you're forgiven. And then she walks away and I walk away. But we're mended. The net has been mended. And this is how the divisions are going to be mended. But I want you to see something. The two things are what? To be of the same frame of mind. The same frame of mind. So that means we have the same values in dealing with things. It has to be, we have to have the same values in dealing with things. Most of us believe that to be in agreement means that we agree on everything, right? That we, we see things the same way. How boring would your marriage be if you saw things, everything the same way? I dated a girl like that once. We would start talking about something like, yeah, I believe this. She'd go, yeah, I believe the same thing. End of conversation. Amanda goes, oh, I don't believe that at all. Well, what do you believe? I believe this. And there's a conversation. Might be heated, but it's a conversation. It's good. But here's the thing. So we have to have the same frame of mind. And now when it comes to, in the context of this letter, Paul is saying, and it comes to the same opinion for the people in that congregation of who your loyalty is to. Who your loyalty is to. He wants them to be joined together. So this mending, this reuniting this is fixing what is broken. He wants them to come back together. He's recognizing the division, but he's saying the goal is to mend it, not to ignore it, not to sweep it under the rug, not to act like it didn't happen. It did happen. We do see things differently. We don't have the same opinion about that problem, but we should have the same opinion about who we give our obedience to. Because if I give my obedience to Christ, that means I'm going to handle things the way Christ wants me to handle them. I'm going to see things the way Christ wants me to see them. Not through my eyes. This is our problem. We want to look at every situation through our eyes. No, we're going to look at the situation through the eyes of Jesus. I'm going to come back. I just had this conversation a couple of last weekend, but we're going to come to this area when it's like we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and now we're called to die to ourselves. And let me ask this question. What is the, what is the, the, the way we die to ourselves? I believe this. Lord, here's, it's Jesus. Lord, if, it's in, if there's any way, let this cup pass for me, right? That was his desire, but what was the end? Not my will, but yours be done. See, most of the time we get stuck here. My will, I want, you bless, you give, I'll be a good, I'll be a good kid. And sometimes God says, no. No. So what's your answer? 
I'm going to pout until you give me my way. Is that what it is? Or is it, okay, Lord, give me the strength to accomplish your will. Give me the strength to do what you want me to do. Because I don't have it in me. I don't even have the desire, Lord. But Lord, give me that desire. And I believe this is how we have to come to it. But let's move on. Verses 11 and 12. The reason for the division. He says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, again, my brothers and sisters, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. I want to I do a sidebar here, because I think it's very interesting. Notice, how does Paul hear this? Chloe's house, right? So Paul mentions the name of the person who's the snitch, right? Chloe's the tattletale. Chloe's the one that blew the horn on everything. It is Chloe's house. But I like it, you know, and I, I, I can't prove it inconclusively, but I can say this. I believe Chloe's confronted these groups on their attitudes, going, hey, you guys, what are you doing? Why are we dividing over these godly men? Peter's godly. Why do they like Peter? Because he walked with Jesus. Paulus, why do they like Paulus? Because he was articulate. He was well-versed in philosophy and rhetoric, and they liked how he presented things. He appealed to them. It's not a bad thing. That was his gifting. And some are like, I'm loyal to Paul. He's my spiritual father. He's my guy. And I'm like, the rest of you guys, oh, no, I'm sticking with Paul. But it's like splinter, splinter, splinter. They're all going off. But here's the thing. I believe Chloe said, hey, guys, stop. And when it doesn't stop and it gets worse and worse, and there's more and more of a party spirit, Chloe tells, hey, Paul, these guys are doing this. You know what I love about it? Paul says, I'm going to tell you who told me. When I worked at a church, you guys, I was kind of, at times, I was kind of a lightning rod for things. Because I would say things. I know it's a shock to you. I would say things. And I would do things. And my pastor would come to me, and he would say, Hey, Armando, I heard you, did, you said this or you did that. And you know what my question was? Who told you that? And he would say, I can't tell you. And I would say that I'm not listening. Because that's gossip. And that's hearsay. And I said, hey, why don't you send that person to me and I'll talk to them about it. He, he would say, they're intimidated by you. I said, well, they need to get over that. But I'm not doing this, man. I did it one time ago. I'm not doing it again. And I, I would walk away. And he stopped doing that to me. I said, you're, it's unfair what you're doing right now. It's very unfair what you're doing to me right now. Has that ever happened to you? How do you feel about that? But here's a bigger question. Have you ever done that to somebody else? Again, I'm talking about relationship here. I'm talking about some of you know. I'm talking about some, there's, some, there's a connection here. But the thing I want you to see is... If, this is really going to be mended. It's not going to happen between me and my boss, is it? It's going to happen between the person that offended me. That's how it's supposed to happen. And I want you to see this because I love the fact that Chloe's like, that's right, I did tell Paul. And I've talked to you guys about this too. And I did tell Paul. Now I'm bringing Pop into it, right? I'm telling on you guys because I've tried to get through to you. But we cannot, we cannot. Because I want you to see something. What if Paul said to the Corinthians, hey, I heard you guys are dividing, but I'm not going to tell you who told me. What's going to happen? One man said this, concealment and mystery sow distrust 
and destroy love. It does, doesn't it? Think about it. If you, I mean, we were, there was four children in my family. I was the youngest. And when mom, if, if one of my mom came to me and my brother and said, I heard you guys were doing this, first question, who told you? Lisa or Christina? Because they were the only ones here. I'm not going to tell you. Well, now I don't like either of them, right? Now I'm mad at both of them because I don't know which one ratted me out, but I know one of them did, so now I don't like either of them. But if she would have told me, well, Lisa said it, then I'd go talk to Lisa about it. But I want you to see, I think, this, I think Chloe shows us something here. I think she shows us this is how we are to deal with it. Don't be, if you have a problem, if you have a problem with someone, can I say, hey, you know what? Richie came to me, Sebastian, and he told me what you were doing. Or does, I go to Sebastian, hey, I heard, Sebastian, you were doing this. I can't tell you who told me. He's like, well, only Richie was there, right? Only Richie was there. I think I, I'm not Sherlock Holmes here, but I think I could deduct from the conversation. I know the one person who was there. But what if it was a group of people? Well, there was four people that were there. And I throw it out. Hey, I heard what you did. Is that true? Hey, well, who told you? I'm not going to tell you. Hmm, I know it's one of these four. Is that good? Is that healthy? What do you think? It's not. And I'll tell you right now, the one time... A guy came to me, he goes, hey, I was talking to Brian about you, but Brian told me to come and talk to you about it. I said, come into my office. And we sat there, we got into it for a bit. And that guy became one of my closest friends. He understood where I was coming from. He understood why I said what I said. And he says, you know what? I don't agree with you, but now I understand better. I'm glad I came to you. Only one. Believe me, I got this a lot. (laughs) And I just said, I'm not listening, man. It's not right. I walk away every time. And I don't think you have to. But see, I, I think this is the way we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to go to each other like Matthew, like Jesus says in Matthew. Win your brother. Win him. But restore the relationship if there is one. But let's move on. That was a sidebar. I just wanted, because I think it's important. I find it very interesting that she had the courage to stand. But it says this. Verse 12 tells us the problem. He says they're quarreling among them. They're haggling. They're raggling. They're, going, they're, they're like debating each other. They're, they're going at it with each other. They're fighting over the fries in the backseat of the car, you know? And he says this, what I mean is each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. One Rearsby says this, and I love it. I think he just nails it. He said, instead of emphasizing the message of the word, the Corinthians emphasized the messenger They got their eyes off the Lord and on the Lord's servant, and this led to competition. You know, I've said this to you guys a few times before. When you come up to me and say, Pastor so-and-so said, A, B, and C, I say, I don't care. I don't care what Pastor so-and-so said. What does the word say? People get mad at me for that. They get frustrated with me. Well, pastor so-and-so said it. I don't care what pastor so-and-so said. What does the word say? Is it in agreement with God's word? Right? But it was pastor so-and-so. Pastor so-and-so could be wrong. Just like Pastor Armando kept having me wrong. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. It happens regularly that I'm wrong about something. But when it comes to the Word of God, and if you give me someone's opinion, I want to make sure it matches up with what the Word of God says. And if it doesn't, I'm going to say so. Right? Don't tell me what someone said. Tell me what Jesus says. 
Tell me what Jesus says. Because that's authoritative. My opinion is not. My interpretation is not. It's what the Word says that's important. But they were dividing. They were putting the messenger above. So what does Paul say to them? He, gets them, he wants to recalibrate them. Verses 13 through 4, 17. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Because I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Because I did baptize the, the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I do, I, beyond that, oh no, I lost my way. I, I goes, I did, beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. But these questions, is Christ divided? What's the answer? Is Christ divided? Then why are we? If Christ is not divided, if the body is one in Christ, then what do we divide over? That's the question. Then he would go on to say this, because if you're dividing over Apollos, you're dividing over me, you're dividing over Peter, well, then are you still working in Christ? Is Christ divided? No, of course not. I love what he says next. Did Paul die for your sins? Did Paul die for you? Did I die for you? And I, I say this to people all the time. They used to say this all the time when I was a kid. Yeah, I go to Pastor So-and-So's church. That ain't Pastor So-and-So's church. That's, that's the church of Christ. What are you talking about? Bothered me. And I would say this to him. Well, did Pastor So-and-So die for that church and resurrect? Well, of course not. Then why do you call it his church? Bothers me. Do you see how that causes division? Do you see that? The moment you say, Pastor So-and-So, that's, that's the church I go to, well, is that, who owns that church? Who died for that church? Who bled for that church? Was it Pastor So-and-So? Then don't call it his church. It's not. And if it is his church, I don't want to be part of it. And then, of course, they don't mean that, but do you see what it implies? You're loyal then to that person. You're giving yourself to that person, and we never should. We never should. Our commitment and our loyalty should be to Jesus Christ and only to Jesus Christ. And our lives should reflect that loyalty, that commitment to him. Because I'll be honest with you, when I've worked with other pastors and they've said something that I think, hey man, that's not biblical, I go to them after service and I say, hey man, you said this and I, I don't know, I, think, I don't think you're right on that. And most of the time they're humble enough going, oh man, you're right. I, oh, I didn't think about that. And bring it to me too. Bring it. Good. You're listening. But my point is this. Paul's going, you're dividing because you're giving your loyalty to these guys. Why? Why? Did Paul die for your sins? Were you brought up and like, were you baptized in the name of Paul? You're baptized in the name of Peter? No. Could you imagine? We're doing a baptism today. And I get these people like, and I baptize you in the, in the name of um, Armando, Richie, and Sebastian. Could you imagine that? It's ridiculous, but that's how they're acting. That's how they're living. No, you baptize the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, what are you doing? You've taken away the power of the message. So here's the question. What's the solution then? How do we dissolve division in our marriages, in our churches, in our, with, with people at work? I think Paul tells us. He gives us a map of it in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to close with this. 
Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The first thing, I, I, I want to emphasize this, the first thing we have to realize is are we acting in a way that's worthy of Jesus? Really think about that. In my conduct, in my attitude, in the way I'm treating somebody else, am I walking worthy of Jesus Christ? And what does that mean? Am I approaching it the way the Word tells me to approach it? Am I going to someone the way God wants me to go to someone? Am I treating people the way God wants me to treat them? Am I valuing people the way God wants me to value them? Am I doing this? Am I walking worthy? Remember like in the, you watch the old movies when the daughter or the son would do something and the, the dad would say, you brought shame upon our house. Why? Because you're not communicating my values. I remember I heard this, I, was watching, I heard this story. Guys all knew Pete Rose's, the most hits in baseball history, right, 4,100 and something. Um, well, when he first started his career, I think it was his first or second year playing for the Reds, um, his dad would come and watch him sometimes. I guess the boat brings you right up to uh, Three River Stadium, and his dad would come watch the games. Well, one game, Pete Rose went 0 for 4. His last at-bat, he hits it to the second baseman, and he jogs. The guy throws him out, and then he doesn't go to first base, and he jogs into the dugout. So about three hours later, after dinner, showering, talk to reporters, he goes out to his car. Guess who's waiting for him? His dad. And he's all, hey, dad, uh, need a ride home or something? He goes, no, no, I get home on my own. He's all, well, what's going on? Like, think about this, three hours waiting. He goes, I want to talk to you about something. And he's thinking, oh, dad's ill, mom's ill, what's wrong? And he goes... Um, that last hit you had. Oh, yeah, I went over four. Yeah, that doesn't matter. That's going to happen. But you didn't run it out. You jogged, and then you jogged into the dugout. He's all, remember, what you do reflects me. And he goes, don't ever embarrass me that way again. When you hit that ball, you run it out. And what was Pete Rose known for? Charlie Hustle, right? To this day, they talk about, I'm a big baseball guy, but you hear the guys talk about Pete Rose, Charlie Hustle. Why? He ran out every hit he had, whether it be a pop-up, a ground out. He's running as hard as he can down the line, and it all began because his dad said, you're not reflecting me and how I raised you. So when Paul says, walk worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are treating people in the flesh, we are judging people because of the color of their skin or their politics or their vaccination or their non-vaccination or whatever you want to divide over. I would question, are you walking worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ? Right? Are you hustling it out? Are you just calling it a day because you don't want to make the effort? Make the effort. Paul would say to the Colossian church, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Notice what he says next, with all humility and gentleness. I come to you making, I want peace. 
I come to you. I want reconciliation. I come to you. I want the bridge to be rebuilt. I come to you. I don't want this between us. But I come to you not condescending or judgmental. I don't come to you as being superior to you. I come with the spirit of humility, and I come to you in gentleness. In gentleness. Paul would say to the Thessalonian church, but we were gentle among you. How? As a nursing mother cherishes her own children. That's the kind of gentleness I'm talking about. And that takes an attitude of humility. And we see it in Jesus, don't we? Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. You're the king of the universe. The myriad of angels worship you. You've created all of this, and you come to serve me, Lord? Not so. No, I've come to serve. I'm showing you what my kingdom is all about. So I come to you in a spirit of gentleness. I come to you as a mother comes to a child. And here's the thing. He says, with patience. Notice that? He says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. What's he saying? Patience as you bear with others you don't agree with. Be patient with them. Win them. My son did something really dumb last week. Shock. Shock. He didn't fall far from the tree. And, and I saw, I was looking at him, and he was with his girlfriend. So I want to embarrass him. And I said, okay, you're not going to do that. And that was it. So the next day, I, he came, and I said, hey, but I want to talk to you really quick. I said, you know what? Um, that decision you made was really foolish. And did you think about it before you decided that? Or did you think it through? Well, Dad, don't make it a big deal. I'm like, no, I, here's the wrong way to make it a big deal. You used to make really wise choices, and now you're making foolish ones, and that gives me a red flag. I want you to think about it. That's all I'm going to say. You were making wise choices. Now you're making foolish ones. I love you. I love you, but I'm watching. It's your life, and you've got to make your own choices, but I'm going to challenge you with that. Now, do you know what I wanted to do? Do you think I wanted to go to him in gentleness? Do you think I want to go with human patience? Give me the car keys. Give me your phone. Boom. You're not going to get these back till you shape up. And after you shape up, maybe I'll let you earn them back. That's what I wanted to do. But I, had to, I want to win him. I want the relationship to be restored. So I go to him in gentleness. And I go with patience, hoping, please hear me. Please hear me. And, and notice what he says next. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He wants them to desire to fight for that unity. You guys ever heard of a game called Savage Women? Savage Women. I got it from this church, by the way, from Barry Mahler. When Barry was a youth pastor, they used to do this game at camp. What it was is all the boys in the youth group would get locked arms and get in a big pile. We're all in a big pile. I wasn't. I wasn't that dumb to get in it. But the high school boys were. They'd get in this big pile and they'd hold on, lock arms, and the girls had... I think it was like five minutes to tear them all apart, to tear them all apart. And I was at a camp. I was actually, I spoke at the camp, and they, I was laughing. I was right at the beach, right by the water, the boy, screaming. The girls like, come on, let's get them. And the girls are savage. The girls, that's what they call it, savage. They're scratching the boys. They're pulling their hair. They're doing anything. We had to make rules because the girls were being too savage. To like, so we wanted to make it a little bit more competitive. But I mean, the first year we did it, and we had... Dude, we had like 80 guys, and those girls tore apart in three minutes. Boy, high school boys, football players, wrestlers, right? Girls were savage. Boys had scratch marks on them, and I, and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to hear it. And the boys were like, that game was rad. Can we do it next year? We're going to win next year. 
But I feel that's what Paul's saying. Be like those boys. We're going to hold on. They're screaming, I won't let you go. I won't let you go. And there's always two guys in the middle. And they're just legs wrapped around each other. And they're like in a bear grip. They're like sitting there. And all the boys surround them to protect them. And they're locking arms. But that's, I believe, what Paul is saying when he says, desire the bond of unity. Don't let them tear you apart. Look through every lie, every scheme, every misconception the world is throwing about you and the the people you're sitting next to in church. Stop looking at your neighbor with suspicion. He's not your enemy. And in the church, that person happens to be your brother and sister in Christ. Give them the benefit of the doubt, but fight for the bond of peace and unity. Be savage about it. Be savage about it. Because the boys were just as savage to hold on to each other as those girls were to rip them apart. But I think it's a a great picture. Because that's what the enemy wants to do to us. He wants to tear us apart. Sow distrust, sow hurt feelings. Let roots of bitterness grow. And the church gets divided. I was at a church like this, you guys. I took the job. I took the job at a church. I went to the church meeting the next Sunday. I'm in the back. I can't vote. I can't even say anything because I'm not a member. And I'm just in the back watching. It was so dysfunctional, so brutal, so mean-spirited. I went to my boss that Monday, and I told him, if I did not already take this job, I never would have taken it. These guys are toxic. He's like, well, you're in it with me now. We're going to do this together. And I'm thinking, and I'll be honest, they all love me. His target was huge on his back. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen people be more carnal, more selfish, more self-willed in my life than in a church. Saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. And at the same time, there's great people in that same church. They love the Lord. It was just a few bad apples, man. Brutal. But we fight for unity. We fight for the bond of peace. We are one body The solution to gender, race, social divisions is not to eradicate our differences, but to see them in the light of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. I'm going to close with this story. I think it's really interesting. It's a perfect illustration of what I'm trying to teach. During World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could control them. Some of the brethren assemblies half complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time. Those who did not faced harsh harsh persecution. In almost every family of those who resisted, someone died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups and there was much tension. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat. For several several days, each person spent time in prayer, examining his own heart in the light of Christ's commands. I love that. Then they came together. Francis Schaeffer, who told of the incident, asked a friend who was there, what did you do then? We were just one, he replied. As they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God, and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When love prevails among believers, 
especially in strong disagreement, it is present to the world and, uh, as an undisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. I love that one line. I think it's so powerful. For, sub, for, sub, uh, for several days, each person spent time in prayer examining his own heart in the light of Christ's commands. Now, I'm going to be honest. We all have roots of bitterness, don't we? We've been hurt, been misunderstood. Now, I want you to take that hurt and that bitterness, and then I want you to bring it to the light of Christ's commands. Right? Lord, and I'm going to tell you guys something. I have done this, so I'm not, and it's hard. I was just talking to Sebastian about it. My best friend in Hungary, we got in a huge dispute. We vacationed together. I was a groomsman in his wedding. I talked to him every day on the phone. We were on opposite ends of a dispute, and we went at it. I mean, at it. Where it got so bad, we lost our friendship, destroyed it. And we went for the next 10 years trying to rebuild that friendship. And I will say this. We both worked at it. We both forgave each other and forgave each other and forgave each other. Until now, he's one of my best friends again. It wasn't easy. But this is, I think, what we miss. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is my eternity. Jesus is the one who gives me grace. But is Jesus the one you obey? That's the question. Is he the one we give our complete loyalty to? And when he says, enough, then say, Lord, take me by the hand. I'm so hurt. I'm so angry. And I'm so bitter. I'm so frustrated. Lord, help me. I don't even know how to navigate this. I don't know what to do, Lord. And pray through your feelings. And don't be fake about it. Be real. Be honest. Be transparent but invite him in. What we usually do is we keep him out. I don't want you touching this. I got it. I got it. I got it. Right? <laughs> no, we don't. We don't got it. <laughs> we walk through Christ with it, and I can tell you, God is able to heal. He dissolves the walls. He dissolves the division. He brings unity. He brings healing but not because we ignore it and not because we sweep it under the rug and not because we don't act like it happened. No, we do. We see our differences, but Lord, I give it to you. I give it to you. Be my Lord. Be my King. Amen? Amen. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Father, as we come before you now, meet us at your table, Lord, and...